Welcome to the Seller Roundtable e-commerce coaching and business strategies with Andy Arnott and Amy Wees. So, um, you know, you were talking about how like, you know, you're really trying to focus on shopkeeper and, and that's very similar with me with seller SEO. When I launched that, I said, you know, through the ups and downs on the roller coasters, like, you know, usually when it gets hard, I, you know, have the feeling of trying to bail and go to the next thing. I'm like, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm in it for the long run on this one. It sounds like you're doing the same thing. Um, through that journey, what have you realized, um, you know, were your strongest traits, you know, what are your weaknesses and like what you're doing to try to overcome those? In general, you know, the journey, like we are all, okay, traits and weaknesses. I'd rather answer a question about how I am losing friends in my journey. <laughs> that's sure. a, a sort yeah. of in there. That, 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 that's probably pretty very, common for entrepreneurs as well. I mean, our stories are all very similar, I think, to a lot of people who are listening to this and who are involved in the Amazon world. So please share away. So it's sort of a drawback of being an entrepreneur. You know how everyone starts somewhere here and then you are somewhere there, there, there. So once you are out in the beginning, you are looking up to those who are further along and then you surround yourself with those people, nor, you know, because you respect them, you want to be around them, you want to be like them. You surround them and then eventually you, let's say, outgrow them because you keep going and some of them won't go there, right? They are just going to stay. and then there's this dynamic that becomes between you, you know, it's like you feel like you are always helping in the masterminds and you're not getting value anymore from that circle. You know, you feel like you outgrew that circle of friends. I'm not talking about those friends who you were like five-year-olds and you were sitting in the sandbox. Those are still my dearest friends, the three girlfriends that I have, you know, we always WhatsApp and so on. But I'm talking about those new friends that you acquire during your entrepreneurship journey. That you, you know, like when I was a computer science student, I had one circle of friends. And then since I am, no one is my friend anymore, you know, there's one person I still contact with. Because things changed around us. And the same happens when you are in your entrepreneurship journey. And it's quite sad and I don't even know, like there was this, I do a lot of one-on-one uh, -on -one masterminds on uh, like on WhatsApp. We just record a question, what's happened during the day. Like we learn from each other like that. And then sometimes I feel like a few of my friends are sort of, you know, just always looking up to what I am doing and trying to maybe, you know, it's not the same dynamic anymore. And I stopped even telling how much I am making, how much shopkeeper is making, what the revenue is just to avoid that dynamic change anymore, you know? And now I am in the new circles that I discovered, you know, all those people who've sold like three companies before and they are like, you know, in, in the new leagues that I want to be in. And, and again, you know, this starts little by little, you know, when you tell how much you're making in revenue, then there's the dynamic between those who don't make that much. And oh, so my advice is try to avoid from anything that like differentiates you too much. It's very good idea to learn from all types of people around you and try to maintain those 
deep relationships that you have. Like my mistakes were that in the beginning, since I started losing a lot of friends, I was carelessly losing them, you know, carelessly losing them. And now I try to develop those relationships and hold on to them, you know, because that person is gonna, you know, that business is not doing so good now, but next year he's gonna start another one and there will be more success. You know, this all is up and down in business. It's never just, you cannot judge someone by one point, oh, I became, you know, so proud of my money that I made. Basically, what I'm saying is in the beginning of your entrepreneurship journey, all you care about is money. <laughs> you know, you care money, 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 money. You get there. At some point, you become so comfortable. You know, you have a nice house on the sea view and then you have the kids and wife and um, something else. And you feel like, okay, what's next? What else do I need, you know, from life? What else is my purpose? You start asking different questions. And then those friends that you left long time ago because of your money, 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 you suddenly feel like you lost out in life on something, you know? So all I'm saying is, you know, look around you, who's around you and just stay, stay with those relationships. It's nice to have deeper relationships that, you know, they know the journey that you went through. So, and it's nice to share, you know, things like that. And then for shallower relationships, you can join like, I don't know, virtual mastermind, you know, and then you can be there for two years and then you switch to another mastermind for another two years. And that will satisfy your need to, you know, line up to someone. But so yeah, just a little bit sad that I lost those friends before. And um, I hope that you guys who is listening, not going to do the same thing. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, yeah, I think part of the reason that um, people go through that journey, especially like you're saying is as you grow as an entrepreneur, you, you, your interest and your focus also changes too. So like nowadays it's very hard for me to relate to, you know, somebody who's working a nine to five, you know, like now it's hard to relate because I don't have that much to talk to them about because, uh, you know, I'm doing things that are, are, are completely different. So, um, you know, to me, that's, you know, similar for, for me, it's, it's, it's hard to, um, you know, be social in that sense when I feel like I don't have a ton to talk about, you know, I'm not like a huge, Mm -hmm. like car guy or football guy. Like I like football. I watch it once in a while. Um, you know, I like baseball better, but it's not like one of those things that I'm obsessed with. Like if I'm sitting around a table playing poker one night, you know, um, I'm not even a big poker fan, but just using this as an example, I would like to sit there and talk about like what's working on Facebook marketing, you know, like to me, that's like the interesting, stimulating conversation. Whereas, you know, most other guys are like, you know, talking about football or cars or, you know, shooting guns or whatever it is they're into, you know, and, and so it's, it's kind of funny in that sense. Um, like you said, there's definitely an evolution. Um, Kevin, Kevin, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have to get together and, and, and uh, drink some beers and talk some Facebook uh, marketing. Um, <clears throat> Okay, well, let's move on to something a little less uh, uh, deep, which is, um, uh, Paulina, what websites, um, tools, kind of things you use on a day-to-day basis to manage your, your Amazon business? So I don't use so many anymore. I used to try a lot. And on Shopkeeper, actually, I have a resources page. It's like a huge page with like hundreds of tools. And I personally tested all of them, basically. (laughs) I've at least logged in, connected my Amazon account and checked how it is and wrote my little mini review. And that was a good experience to get a feeling more like what people like and what is common sense things in the apps. So when I was building my own app, you know, I know what's common sense and what's unusual because you want to make everything that is common sense to people, you know, so Mm -hmm. that it's easier navigatable. Mm -hmm. Uh, So currently I use only two (laughs) and uh, that is, I don't know, 
Is that okay again? I'm like always checking with you to promote I, it. I, no, I, I'm completely fine. Like I said, I, I'm my, my main goal is to see sellers succeed. Um, whether they use my tool or another tool, um, you know, I of course would love for them to use my tool, but I mean, no, there's, there, you know, <laughs> go ahead, please let us know. Okay. So Amazon wise, of course, I'm using uh, Helium 10 uh, just because I find that I guess it's not that it's the most promoted, but it's just, I got it introduced to it early on and I stuck with it. And I find many people do like that with the apps, whatever they discover first from the competitors, that's the one they usually stick with because the other ones will take my time. You know, I could check a viral launch, you know, and I could check, you know, other ones like, you know, but I, I don't want to, I'm lazy. Right? I just already checked out. I know how it works, where to click, where to research, and I just stick with it. So that's yeah. how, you know, I just by accident discovered something that is quite nice. Yeah. And uh, uh, there were a few others that I was using. So there was Feedback Genius that I was using as well. But since Amazon restricted, you know, the email, um, like how many times you can reply, they can mm -hmm. unsubscribe from you, all of these restrictions happened. To be honest, I think those category this category of tools is a little bit gonna be phasing out slowly um just because it's not so effective anymore and amazon is like has a keen eye on what we're doing what we're saying and you know tracking in terms of keywords what we are asking them right. so right now i am still using it a little bit but i am just asking for uh sort of like what the was the purpose for that item for example i i sell these bags that are like big velvet bags and there's many purposes for that so the same bag i decided that i want to reclassify and post it as a separate asin on its own so for example one is bag just to put your skates inside for storage you know and the same thing just i'll change the color or a little bit material but basically it's the same bag so i'm just asking people in that email using feedback genius just like what are you using it for you know because the listing right now is just says generic bag and i'm curious like what's the purpose because then i could optimize the keywords so much better and have a specific purpose for that so i'm trying to make separate different uses for the same item and then gonna list them as separate asin so only this kind of marketing research i'm doing right now it's not really asking for review or feedback you know anymore uh, no. so because of that i'm thinking it's a little bit phasing out and i'll probably stop using it pretty soon yeah, as well. i think i think i'm one of the few sellers on the planet who, who has never used uh an email feedback system um, you haven't? <laughs> I have not. Okay. And the main reason for that is, well, number one, we've never really had trouble getting, I mean, I, we just do a lot of volume and we launch with a lot of money. So, you know, we are always, um, you know, really, um, you know, going after PVC and things like that. So we sell through a lot, on a lot of volume. So we generally get reviews coming in fairly quickly. But the main reason I didn't do it is not, you know, because I don't think it, it, it'll work. It probably works. But my whole thing is like, I just look at it um, from a customer standpoint. Uh, whenever I get one of those Amazon emails, like, Hey, review my product. You know, you bought it on Amazon. I just delete it and get angry. Like you're bought, you know, you, I feel like they're bothering me. Um, it might not be, you know, the case for many people, but to me, I'm like, uh, I'm not going to do something that I don't like. Um, you know, we do product inserts to me. That's a lot less intrusive and, um, you know, still gets the point across. If somebody wants to go leave a review, um, you know, then, then it, it's, you know, it's not as in their face. They can just take it and throw it away and never think about it again. Um, what, what do you write inside your inserts? 
I got this one insert today. So, so cute. So awesome. I'm going to copy that. I left it here. On my uh, desk. Honestly, I don't remember, but it's pretty much like, Hey, if you've had any issues, contact us. And it's like the Amazon link to contact us, not like off of Amazon, just cause we, you know, we don't want to get in trouble for that. Um, and then it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty much like, Hey, if you have any issues, uh, let us know. Um, you know, uh, we'd love your honest feedback. You can, you know, and we have a QR code so they can just easily scan it and go to both of those links. Um, you know, one to leave feedback, one to, um, to contact us. And uh, yeah, it's pretty, pretty basic. Okay, I'll show you. I, so it says happy on one thing and the other one not happy. <laughs> so yeah. basically if you're happy, you do this. If you're not happy, you do that. I kind of liked it, you know, except that Amazon right now restricts what you can put on there. But yeah, it's a so, yeah. So the trick I tell everyone to do is when you make your product insert is just attach it to a ticket to Amazon and say, Hey, I want to put this in my product. Is it okay? Um, they, they gave me the blessing on mine. And so I have that ticket now that I can reference back if, you know, if it ever raises any issues with Amazon, I can say, Hey, I, I asked you guys, I attached it. You said, you know, yes. <laughs> so, you know, it'd be pretty hard for them to nail you once, you know, they're, they're buying off on it. So that's what I always tell people to do. There's one thing I was dropping in into those purses that I was selling and it gave me extra reviews without me asking for it. So basically I was selling a, a just a regular purse and I ordered from my sourcing agent 10,000 coins. So basically a small coin, just like a quarter size. Mm. And that was copper color, you know, like the old fashioned and both sides had the well, in English, it's clover leaf, you know, the lucky leaf, mm -hmm. four, four leaves. Yep. So basically on both sides is the lucky, you know, and then I put it in a small bag and I just say, uh, for good luck from, and my brand name, you know, so basically for good luck from, and nothing else at all, like just a little coin. And so they, you know, they open their bag, they take out the handle and then pluk, something falls out, you know, they see, oh, yeah. a little coin, you know, so, and they put in the wallet and they always leave a review, you know, they say, oh, and I found a little surprise was not mentioned on the listing, you know, this is appreciated. And they kept leaving those good reviews and everybody mentions the little surprise, but nobody says what it is. <laughs> so people, you know, are curious. So it was like self-promoting item that right. got me reviews. And so it's yeah. interesting. It's good, you, it's good you didn't get in trouble for that because Amazon does like, you know, get upset sometimes if you, if you include a bonus accessory, but in that, mm, in, yeah. in that case, you know, that one would be easy to get out of, I think, because you could just say that it was part of the product, you know, like, without <laughs> implicitly mentioning it, you know, like I, you, you, you don't have to mention that the purse has a pocket, you know, like, so I think that that's smart though. That's, that's, uh, you know, giving them a, a little something extra to make it unique. That's interesting. Yeah, it wasn't working nicely. I'm considering adding it to all the products. But now that you said something, I have to double check on yeah, that. Yeah, double check it. It, it. Technically, I think it's against TOS, but the chances of okay. you getting getting in trouble, and they may have changed that, but as far as I know, it is. But, um, and it's it's so, it, it's it's such a minefield. You know, it's some of the, the rules that they write um, are, um, you know, so open to interpretation that, you know, it's, it's really, really hard to navigate. I think that's one of the hardest things with Amazon is the fact that, uh, you know, it's never cut and dry. It's always up to interpretation. So, all right, Paulina. Yeah. So we're, we're getting down to the, the nitty gritty here. So let's talk about Amazon pricing kind of, uh, you know, strategies, uh, tips, tactics, uh, best practices, all that good stuff. Um, you know, feel free to just ramble on, give us, give us all your, your best stuff on, on Amazon pricing. All right. So not to make it too long, I'll give you a few good bits right away. <laughs> so, you know, so if you don't want to watch the whole thing, 
Okay, so there are many different pricing psychology tweaks that you can do to your prices in order to make more sales. So there's this psychology a little bit involved in it. Okay, so you know how everywhere we see the 99, 99, 99 endings, endings and 95 and 97. And so this ending, you know, the reason for the ending is pretty obvious, right? 29 something comparing to 30, you know, well, this one is 20 something, this one is 30 something. So obviously that one is a lower number, especially strong on the cuts of like the, from the 29 to 30 or from 24 to 25. You know, that's the, on the fives and the zeros, the biggest folds, the strongest effect. Okay. So this is all common sense and we know it already. But what happened to us as users? We see 99, 99 everywhere, and we sort of started associating it with the bargain. If it's 99, that means it's, it's cheaper, it's a bargain. But unfortunately here, when it's a bargain, it also is associated with the lower quality. And that's where you can play a little bit. If you're positioning your product as a luxury item, it's a good idea to round the price. So we'll just make it $21 round, instead of you know $21.99 and basically you'll get a little bit of different feeling from the you know we are not really reading the prices and analyzing we're just skimming 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 okay $21.99 and there's this 22 and then your eyes sort of for a millisecond thinks hmm like you don't even think it's like that part driving you you know when you drive and you don't think about it so you just consume it as little bit different not the bargain not the cheap that means it's not such a low quality item you know it's like it goes together and then if you round your prices so you suddenly get the benefit of that now how can you use again that nine that nine is so strong that there's research done online they compare two prices 34 and 39 and actually 39 was selling better so I tried that on my dresses and unfortunately the, the jump, the $5 jump is not applicable to all the categories, right? You can't, sometimes you cannot jump that much, but I did jump, you know, from 34, it wasn't 34, it was like 35. I jumped to 39 and actually it was selling better. I have no idea if that's the thing that helped, but that's the research that they say, if you are using the charm numbers and those are nines, fives and sevens in your prices, it gets more click through into the pricing. Now, why the fives and sevens? Well, you've seen all the internet marketers online using the sevens at the end when they're selling the courses. It's just another charm number. And I think Walmart or Best Buy is using the 997 and one of them is using 995. So there's, this is also commonly used ending. So five, sevens and nines have the same effect charm numbers. So try to look at your prices right now whatever you got. And if you want to compete with the other guys to be that better, you know, get a little bit of extra eyes. So you just have to switch your prices not to end in even numbers. So not 24, make it 25, you know. So try to end with the odd numbers always. And that really helps. So this is one good tip. Another tip, maybe I'll mention now, not about psychology, but in general, there's another thing that you can currently look at all your prices. You know, the threshold for free shipping, so there's this threshold of $25 on amazon.com and like 29 euros in France and every marketplace has a threshold that you have to buy at least that much of items, you know, for that much that you could get free shipping if you don't have prime membership. So I was selling this item for 20.99 
And I was calculating, huh, so if the guy doesn't have Prime membership, how much he's going to pay? And I was thinking, okay, $26.47, so it's $26.50 he's going to pay. I was thinking, wait a minute. So if I make $25.99, so that's $5 extra, I made the price, he will actually pay less. And then $0.50 cents less he will pay at the end, but I will make $5 extra dollars for every item. And $5 extra dollars is a lot because in my category, you make pretty much $5 profit, you know? So that's basically double the profit just because just on that, you know, capitalizing on that free shipping there. Uh, and sometimes again, you cannot jump that much. So um, sometimes I talk about these topics on, uh, in different conferences and sellers come to me after the, my talk and they, we look at their phone and we scroll at their prices, competitor prices and compare, you know, and we try to decide their strategy, what is the best. Very often I see that they cannot jump that high like I did. You know, many categories are competitive and the bigger sell the seller he is, the more likely he sells in competitive categories. So in that case, just look at your current pricing for every price you got. If you have like 24 somewhere, so just like one or $2 below those thresholds for every marketplace. So just raise it to be above. And then what happens? Suddenly you will not only appeal because the person he's skimming, he's not thinking, oh, I'm free shipping, not free shipping. He's not thinking that, right? He's just looking at prices. But there's this very popular feature on Amazon sidebar, you know, the free ship shipping tick box, right? Checkbox. And it's a very, very popular feature on there. So basically you are suddenly getting a lot more eyeballs because many people click that box who don't have a prime membership and suddenly you will be in the search results just because you are a little bit above the threshold. So it's a good idea to use that tip, you know, looking at your prices. Now for those beginners who don't even have any products yet launched and are thinking about the price, you are probably thinking, okay, I'm gonna probably just launch the product and look at competitors and then I'm gonna set the price. Well, actually I will tell you that the best price uh, setting time is in the beginning, before you even order your product from manufacturer, before you even decide the final design, you know? Now, why is that early so important? Well, because there are three types of sellers in general on e-commerce, uh, three types of buyers. So there's bargain hunters, the Scrooges. Then there's this average buyer who doesn't really, you know, he's not so influenced by the price. He just wants a good deal and good item. And there are those luxury buyers, you know, who are not influenced by the price at all. So now there's three different types of buyers that are shopping on Amazon. And you definitely want to know in advance which type of buyer you're going to be targeting, right? Because look, there's a big difference. If you're selling, let's say a knife sharpener, you could sell $11.99 sharpener and you could sell $45.99 sharpener for the luxury ones, right? So there's a big price difference. And what defines the difference? Well, you would, if you know that you're going to sell for the luxury ones, if you already know your pricing strategy in advance, then you go to your manufacturer and you say, all right, let's change the metal to be stainless steel. Let's add this luxury box and then velvet bag and all these items should be better plastic, not break so easy. You're going to spend more for that. So you will have more cost and therefore it justifies the price. So basically you are already, you have to know, you know, which one you're going to target. So how are you going to know now in advance? You just researched on Jungle Scout probably or invented some product idea. How do you know so early who's going to buy your product? Well, the way to decide your price is to look at competitor listings. So basically you will enter your main keyword on Amazon search and you'll get some search results. And that's from what you will decide. You will see how many players are in each box. You'll see, okay, five guys on that page are playing the bargain hunter deal, right? And then 
Another 10 of them are playing that middle section, the average buyer, and barely anyone is doing the luxury one. Okay, there's space for me in the luxury, right? So you decide where is not played enough, and then you go play in that game, you know? Because if you are just competing for one more slice of the same pie, it's even though mathematically, when I added up the numbers, um, looking at 40% profit margin, the best place to be is you would think the luxury buyer because it's most expensive, but actually not. Luxury buyers is not so many of them, right? There's less of a percentage. And statistically, they actually calculated this in one research, is only 15% of them. 15% of those and then 24% of Scrooges. Basically, 61% in the middle is the best place to be just because there's most of them there. And so even though your price is not as high, but you would make the most profit if you are, you know, between the, av for selling for those average buyers, average spenders. <laughs> so now see, there is like this game yet you have to figure out like who's playing what. So now when you're looking at all of the results, be very careful not to judge the snapshot of today. Like today is what? October, you know, maybe there's like some people run out of stock already, you know, somebody's waiting for October 1st, you know, whatever to, for inventory to arrive and then somebody running a promotion. You can't judge the price from one snapshot. Some people might not even be on that page because they run out of inventory. So you have to make better research than just one judgment and I'm done, you know. So you basically get a VA or yourself, you'll look at his historical price average for the previous long period. Probably you could use Jungle Scout or any app that shows you the historical averages of the price. And that is the best thing to look at. So you will know what price is the average when you are thinking about your strategy. Because maybe you're looking at $20 uh, price, but actually he always have 70. Just now he put some promotion, I don't know, because he's low on stock or wants to run out faster. So he comes back with a boom, you know. So basically the whole strategy has to begin at you analyzing competition and deciding which bucket you're going to play in. And then once you have your strategy, then you are thinking about your, now you know that you're going to work with the luxury buyers. And then you're going to see the price range that you could do, depending again on competition, you know. And from there, everything will develop. You'll develop a different product. You will write your listing properly, you know, to that type of buyer who cares more about the benefit, not about the price. You will not say you'll get the best value. This is the cheapest. No, you'll, you know, those buyers are looking at the benefits mostly. Will the color match their, you know, kitchen or some things like that. So you will emphasize, you will completely write a different listing and get different pictures because you're thinking about that buyer. Your whole picture comes to, to work here. And it's interesting, you know, there are many other different little psychological um, tweaks that I could tell you about, you know, that you could also use on your pricing, like in terms of coupons, promotions, how to use bundling, add-on items, all of these things. I know a lot <laughs> about those uh, because I tested all of them on mine. I've researched a lot and I totally, totally love this topic. <laughs> so, but in general, that's the whole idea, how to even begin to start thinking about it. I don't know. What's your pricing strategy? You tell me a little bit about yours. The, <clears throat> no, you've, you've all made great points there. Um, we tend to go, um, uh, above, uh, the average, uh, in our, in our categories, uh, generally. And, um, the reason why we do that, and I think a lot of people don't think about the strategy, um, is we go higher on our pricing so that we can go higher on our cost per click on PVC. Because if we've got a higher price point than that, we're driving our ACOS down, even though we're spending more on clicks, we're beating our competition showing up, uh, before them. 
uh, because we've got that, that higher price point, like we're able to beat them on those PVC clicks. Um, the other thing a lot of people don't realize is that Amazon looks uh, algorithmically at pricing and generally higher priced items um, get more ranked than lower priced items. Now, uh, volume also comes into play. Um, you know, Amazon's figuring all this stuff out you know, in the algorithm to see what's going to make them the most money. And that's how they're ranking the, a lot of these uh, results in search. A lot of people don't realize that. Um, but something that is super easy for all of you guys to test, which uh, we, we started this strategy a couple of years ago, and we were amazed at how big of an impact, especially, you know, we sell a ton of volume. So it made a huge, huge difference in, in our uh, bottom line. It's just raising your price by a dollar, you know, like just testing it, um, you know, raising or, or lowering your price by a dollar and watching it and then looking at that data and then adjusting, you know, because you're looking at not only, um, you, you hopefully are using some type of software that's going to tell you um, down to the product level, you know, how much profit it's making. Because when you have that data, um, then you can actually decide, um, you know, if you sell at, say, for example, you know, 1950, you, you know, you're making you know, 1950 and you're, you know, you sell 10 units. Um, or you're selling at, you know, $22 and you're selling eight units, you know, your profit's going to be better uh, on the ladder. So, you know, it's like one of those things where I think I'm doing the math quickly, but uh, my point there is just to, uh, you know, sometimes a higher price and lower volume will actually be better for your bottom line, but it's just something you have to test. That's right. You know, many of us decided when I started, I decided my price just from my own sort of feeling, you know, and I thought, okay, how much I would pay for this item? Okay, maximum $36. I would never pay 45 No way. You know, so you decide like this. Okay, who's going to pay more than 36 No more. Okay, and you judge like that. So it's another advice that I could give that try to climb out of your financial, financial limitations box. Or, you know, if it's not about actually how much money you're making. It's about that buying, um, buying habit, right? Sometimes you don't care about the price that much. And sometimes you do care a lot. Like my brother does. He looks up every Google Chrome plugin and then whichever matches the price and the cheapest and the cheapest and the cheapest. And then he goes there, you know, <laughs> I am not like this. I just look at, okay, a few listings. I like this one. I'm just going to take it, whatever the difference in the price. So there's just different types of buyers. And if you are limiting your decision on the price based on your own personal preference, you are really losing out on all of these other buyers. Like I said, again, it goes back to knowing which target buyer, you know, type of buyer you're targeting. Again, if you know, it's much better to make a decision, much easier, you know. Um, so yeah, these things really are very interesting, interesting yeah. topic. Yeah. Once again, I think, you know, the, the, what you guys should get a, uh, out of this whole episode, I think, and we talk, you know, talk about this over and over again, is that you guys need to test, um, you know, you guys, if you're letting your, your Amazon account sit idle every single day, then you're missing opportunity, uh, you know, to test new things that could, you know, help your bottom line uh, a lot. So on that note, Paulina, um, what uh, we always like to ask this, cause you know, I'm, I'm always, you know, I'm a huge audible uh, uh, fans. Uh, Amy turned me on to an app called Scribe, uh, which is, you know, kind of all you can eat. Uh, you know, books and audio books and things like that. Um, but what are your favorite books, podcasts, motivational materials, kind of things that you've been uh, into lately to help your business, whether it's your Amazon business or your software business? I'm a little bit obsessed with Sam Owen these days. Sam Owen is this guy who created consulting.com. You've probably seen his ads on Facebook. So he's built his $18 million revenue empire. <laughs> this was just the year when he started and then the next year, 34 millions, just because he made good Facebook ads. And 
okay, so I got obsessed with his strategies and how he, like, if you right now look up on YouTube um, a video, it's called monk-like discipline, you know, like the monks who pray, right? Monk-like discipline. And it's like an hour and a half video, but if you're not ready to get disciplined, then get your life, your, you know, your thoughts in focus and just focus on one thing. Don't even Google that video. Like you have to be ready for it, but it's so intense how he optimized every single piece of his life. Like, you know, food is getting ordered and coming. I eat in 15 minutes. I'm done. You know, here, I'm not going to do this in my life because I get more time. Then I'm going to, you know, like oh, everything in his life, including the business stuff. And he optimizes over optimizes. And then you focus on that one thing. Like I said, so I really like mindset uh, topics like this a lot. And I do listen to a lot of podcasts, but these days they're not Amazon related anymore. Um, they are more, I actually still have seller sessions and I like Danny McMillan's podcast a lot. He has the special way of asking questions that are intriguing and get the, the other person to give away some information that they wouldn't normally give. So I like that podcast. So I still keep up with Amazon things and I go to events. But the other ones that I really like, are, one of my favorite one is Tropical MBA. So those are the guys who founded the Dynamite Circle and I'm a member. Anyone who's a member, hi. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of like a you know, closed environment of entrepreneurs who started different types of businesses, including Amazon sellers and so on. And it's it's really nice community. They host masterminds. They basically put you in a group together with other four people, which are in a similar uh, goal set, you know, for that six months. And then next six months, you move on to another mastermind. I really like them. And um, so that's Tropical MBA are the founders. And there's two guys chatting. I usually love podcasts where two people are talking because... It's so that audiobooks don't work so well on me. It's very sleepy, you know. I just da, 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 da. and then and, and, and those readers don't know how to read. I don't know. It's just read with emotion. Don't read da, 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 da. So, but when people talking, you know, two of them, it's 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 interesting because you're listening to a conversation that's much more alive, much more interesting, easy to listen. So another one where they're talking, two of them is startups for the rest of us, and that is also amazing. And they mention a lot of different mice and things and. Uh, a lot to do with software world, but you know, the tropical MBA is more related to Amazon because they were Amazon sellers themselves and they sold the business. Uh, and another one is bootstrapped web. And I have a few more on the list, but in general, those are my favorites, I guess really worth mentioning. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. All right. Now's the time of the show where you get to tell us what's up next. Like, what do you, what are your plans? What are you working on? Uh, what are you doing now? How can people find you? All that fun stuff. So yeah, what I'm doing now. So I've been doing a lot of videos lately. I, I am trying to do this sort of influencer marketing thing, testing out the waters on both my Amazon business and on Shopkeeper. So on Shopkeeper, I'm just basically interviewing a lot of people just like yourself and uh, trying to do like my style is doing informal conversations. So I, I don't give them a set of questions. I just basically ask them random things that come up from conversation. And whenever I feel a story coming up, I try to pull that story out because I'm all about stories and I really like to listen to them myself. So I, I try to pull the story out and then I edit out the boring part in the beginning and I leave only the story. So <laughs> if that works, sometimes it doesn't work with everyone. So, you know, um, it is what it is. And so I've been investigating a lot about influencer marketing and how to use 
hostage negotiating tactics in cold email outreach to influencers, <laughs> like all these different interesting things are happening in my mind from these days. Um, but I'm still very closely into what Shopkeeper is doing. So there's like new types of fees that are coming up because as you know, there are more than 72 types of fees and charges on Amazon. So Shopkeeper pulls all of these different reports and calculates everything together. So someone has to understand what the fees are about and, you know, tell the developer, okay, this fee has to be handled this way. Now, when zero revenue happened and there was a fee, you have to still put in the manufacturing costs, you know, so someone has to understand and I'm the one who's the brains behind that. Right. So, yeah, still a lot of things on my mind. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for, for being on. And uh, if you guys listening don't know, um, we record this live uh, every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific. And uh, if you guys join us live, you get to, um, you know, ask questions, interact with us, uh, things like that. Um, I'm going to go through here quickly, see if we got any questions that I missed. Um, I don't think so. Um, so, oh, wait, we do have one. Is there a good demand for two colors of the same product on its own? Is it okay to list them separately and rank them or add them together as a variation of other, of other enlist? So Harsha, I think what you're asking is, um, should you list your two different colors as uh, just uh, their own items or as a parent-child relationship? I always say parent-child because you get the built-in cross-marketing. Um, you, you give people more choice if they land on your listing and, um, you know, say you're, you're selling purses like Paulina was talking about and you just have the red purse and somebody is looking for a brown purse and then they just go away. Whereas if you listed your brown purse and your red purse on the same listing, they go, Oh, okay, there's the red one, but I wanted the brown one. There it is. Click buy. Uh, so to me, I always default when you, whenever you can, uh, pretty much 99% of my products are parent child. Uh, listings, uh, whether it's multi-packs, whether it's bundles, whether it's, um, you know, colors, sizes, anything like that. Whenever I can, I always default to parent-child relationship listings. Yeah. You know, when you run out of inventory, actually the listing will be still up because there's still three colors left, you know? So yeah, it's also good. I like also doing the same, like you said. Yeah. All right. It looks like uh, those are all the questions for uh, today. Thank you guys so much for joining us. If you haven't done so yet, we really, really appreciate you guys hitting the subscribe button, uh, rating, reviewing us. Uh, let us know how we're doing uh, in the comments. If, uh, if you, wanna, you want us to cover a specific topic, something that we haven't covered yet, um, or you guys just have feedback on, on you know, how the show is going, uh, any changes you want, anything you'd like to see, please let us know. We'd really, really appreciate it. All right, guys, thank you so much, and we will see you next time. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for live Q&A and bonus content after the recording at sellerroundtable.com. Sponsored by the ultimate software tool for Amazon sales and growth, sellerseo.com and amazingathome.com.